Over the last few months on a Friday evening as I've been bringing uh, Bible studies when it's been my turn, we've been looking at the book of Philippians and so far we've done uh, nine studies or ten studies and in the next study that I was about to bring from Philippians on a Friday evening we have come to the last few verses of chapter 1 and it's verses 27 to 30 and as I was reading these verses in preparation for the next Friday evening when I was due to do the study I began to look at them and as I read them I felt that I should bring the study that I would have brought on a Friday here on the Sunday morning because the verses that are before us are so applicable for the day and age in which we're living in today. And so it's Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here, that I still have. So as I said, I looked at these verses and considered what I would say to summarize what I think that Paul is saying in these few verses. And I think that this is what Paul is saying or wanting. He's wanting that the believers at Philippi would maintain a good testimony and to stand firm against any opposition that will rise up against them. Now we know that Paul had a caring shepherd heart towards the church at Philippi as he did to all the churches that he established. We know that he prayed for them and we know here concerning the Philippi church that he longed to see them and to be with them because he longed, as he says in the previous verses, to impart more into them spiritually. But just in case there was going to be a delay in his being able to get to be with them and to meet with them, he says to them these things. Stay strong, stand firm, and maintain a good testimony. And so as I've said, if there's ever some verses of Scripture that seem applicable for us as believers today, I believe it is these few verses. In fact, in all that Paul has to say in this letter, as I've looked at these verses, I think that these verses are some of the most important. And so, as I've looked at them, I've broken them down into some points, and we're only actually going to get to look at the first one this morning. The first point is this, he says to them, let your manner of life be worthy 
of the gospel of Christ. The second point he makes is stand firm in one spirit. The third point is with one mind strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And we're going to have to do that more than ever today as the gospel is being attacked. We'll get to that on another occasion. Fourthly, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. Fifthly, know that it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also be willing to suffer for his namesake. And sixthly, be engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and still have. So those are the six points I feel that we can summarise from those few verses. And as I said, we're going to look at the first one today and the other five on different occasions. So the first point, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's obvious when we read through the scripture that our lifestyle as Christians is considered to be something that must be closely linked to our faith. In, in other words, it's our lifestyle is actually our faith, or should be, our faith in practice. And I can only agree with what Paul has to say. For as believers, we are supposed to be living epistles to those who live around us, who have not yet come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was talking with the Sermon on the Mount, he told them that you're to be the salt. You are to be the light. And the salt is in contrast to the unsavoury world. And the light is in contrast to the darkness of the world. And so Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, make sure that you are the salt and make sure that you are the light that is much needed in the community around you. And so Paul wants the believers here in this church at Philippi to live in such a way that their lives would be good, godly examples to those outside of their faith. And he sums it up this way. He wants that their lives would be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now there's a well-known song. And uh, I chickened out a little bit this morning. Because uh, I'm going to quote it. But I did actually sing it at home and record it. And I've chickened out in adding it into the sermon this morning. But it's a well-known song. I'm sure that many of us will know it. Unworthy am I of the grace that he gave. How many know it? Nobody. Come on, I, I think you will know it when we get, I get the words out. Okay. Unworthy am I of the grace that he gave. Unworthy to hold his hand. Amazed that a king would reach down to a slave. This love I cannot understand. Unworthy. Unworthy. A beggar in bondage and alone. But he made me worthy, and now by his grace, his mercy has made me his own. My sorrow and sickness laid stripes on his back. My sins caused the blood that was shed. My faults and my failures have woven a crown of thorns that he wore on his head. 
Unworthy am I of the glory to come, unworthy with angels to sing. I thrill just to know that he loved me so much, a pauper I walk with the king. Unworthy, unworthy, a beggar in bondage and alone, but he made me worthy. And now by his grace, his mercy has made me his own. Nobody knows that song. Wow. I'm shocked. I really am shocked. Because it was such a well-known song. It was sung in the 70s, especially in crusades up and down the United Kingdom with folk like Dick Saunders and people like that that held the tent crusades. I'm not going to sing it, but that's the words. And worthy am I of the grace that he gave. Unworthy, unworthy, a beggar in bondage and alone. But he made me worthy. And now by his grace, his mercy has made me his own. And yes, we were unworthy. Every single one of us. We were unworthy, yet God was willing to put into action the glorious plan of redemption. And Jesus was willing to bring it about in such an awful, painful and excruciating way by going to Calvary. And we need to consider the cost to give us the wonderful salvation that we have. Therefore, having been saved by his incredible grace, as unworthy as we were, we should therefore now desire to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, in Christ we should and must be different. Because a transformation has taken place. In the words of Paul, in my favourite verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, <coughs> the old is gone, or should be gone. And the new has come. It doesn't mean that we're sinless or perfect. But that the old nature that followed the desires of the flesh should be done away with. And we choose instead, or should I say we desire instead, to live according to the new nature. Which is tied to living according to the spirit. We should be walking in newness of life. We should be walking according to the ways of the spirit. We should be walking, as it says in Ephesians 5.15, in the King James Version, circumspectly. That is, we should be walking with wisdom in this world in which we are living in. Now often when Paul writes to one of the churches, whichever it might be, you'll find if you go to some of the other letters, he repeats what he's already written to one of the other churches. So, in other words... The standards that he believes that should be found within the church are not location specific, but are universal. They are standards that should be set across the whole of the church, which we remind ourselves is the body of Christ. And so to the church at Ephesus he wrote, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Notice there's something in the way that he wants to speak to them. I urge you. There's something that's driving him to say it to the believers. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of, to which you have been called. And then to the church at Colossae, he wrote, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And to the Thessalonians, he wrote, 
<coughs> we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. It's a command, an instruction to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so I believe that if Paul could stand up here in this pulpit today, or in any pulpit across the UK or across the five nations of the world, he would say the same message to us all. And it would be here this morning, he would say, to the church at Gateshead, Emmanuel Pentecostal Church that meets in Gateshead, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what is Paul saying when he's saying this? And I can only touch on it very briefly. But I believe that he's saying this. When those around you are lying and cheating, you don't. It's as straight cut as that. When those around you are lying and cheating, you don't. When those around you are sleeping around and meddling with the standards of sexual morality that God has established, you don't. When those around you are fiddling their taxes or acting in ways that are dishonest and lacking in integrity, you don't. When those, as he says in Ephesians, around you are getting drunk and acting in debauchery, then you don't. We're different. We're called to be different. When those around you are bowing to the gods of this world, you don't. For you recall in this epistle, in chapter 2, he declares that it is Jesus Christ who is Lord. And we started by singing that with the music before the service started. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. And the believers at this time in Philippi and the other towns and cities around there, they were expected to bow down and to acknowledge that the Caesar was Lord. But Paul writes to them and he says, not you. When everybody else around it is bowing down to Caesar and declaring him to be Lord, you don't do it because there's only one Lord and Jesus is his name. And today we need to stop each one of us and we need to consider what it is that we are allowing to be the Lord or the God small g in our lives which is taking up the place which should belong solely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are just a few samples. But simply put is saying, be different. Show to those outside that the grace of God has made such a difference in your life that you will become the examples that they themselves will want to follow because they will see that Jesus has made an incredible difference. See, if we are no different in our lifestyle to those that are unbelievers around us, then to be honest, we've got very little to offer them. Let me repeat that. If we are no different in our lifestyle to those that are living around us, then to be honest, we've got very little left to offer them. Because we will be betraying the very gospel itself. And we will be betraying, the in betraying the gospel, we will be betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his lifeblood to redeem us and to bring us out from that darkness and into the light. And I cannot help, I, I, I know I've quoted a few hymns just recently, 
but I cannot help but re-echo the words of a hymn <coughs> that had an, an enormous impact upon my life and my behaviour as a young Christian when I was faced for the first time and many times afterwards with the temptations of the world. And I'll quote the hymn in a moment. But firstly, before I quote the hymn, I thank God from the very depth of my being that I had when I was in my teens from 14 to nearly 19 years of age, I had a pastor and his wife who cared very deeply for all the young people that were in our local fellowship at that time. I tried to count them up and there were 20 plus teenagers meeting in our regular youth group. And this is something that has left a deep and lasting impression on my life. The pastor's wife, her name was Eva, they're Ken and Eva Reese. They were from South Wales and they came across to Hereford. When she saw me, she would say to me these words Well, how are you, Hayden? Straightforward question, we all ask it to one another. Obviously, not, we don't call each other Hayden, but you know what I mean. How are you, Hayden? To which I would reply, I'm good, thank you, or something similar. And then Mrs. Reese had a particular look. And she would look at me after I'd given that answer. And this is what she would say. But how are you spiritually? How are you spiritually? And this was a regular occurrence. I should have been ready every time to answer, shouldn't I? But it was a regular thing. And I want to ask every one of us this morning that same question. Because as I was looking at this letter, looking at these verses, and thinking of this one line in particular about walking worthy of the gospel, I, I, I felt that these four words are the basis of what I am meant to challenge each one of us with this morning. And it's the question that she asked me, how are you spiritually? This morning. How are you spiritually? It's a question that should cause each one of us to look into our hearts and to examine our lives and to think about our testimony, to think about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to see how we are in our relation to our walking in this world as the ones who should be the light and the salt. And we should be asking ourselves a question when we ask that, how are you spiritually? How am I? How am I? Am I really the light that I should be? Am I really the salt that I should be with those that I mix with every day of the week? And this is the hymn that left a great impression upon me. At the same time that we would be, I would be asked that question, but how are you spiritually? This was a hymn we used to sing regularly in the church because it happened to be the pastor's favourite hymn. And... and it's, it's an important hymn, and it's called unto holiness, church of the God, of our God, purchase of Jesus redeemed by his blood, called from the world and its idols to flee, called from the bondage of sin to be free, called unto holiness, 
children of light, walking with Jesus in garments of white, raiment and solid and tarnished with sin, God's Holy Spirit abiding within. Called into holiness, praise his dear name. This blessed secret to faith now made plain. Not our own righteousness, but Christ within. Living and reigning and saving from sin. Called into holiness, glorious thought. Up from the wilderness wanderings brought. Out from the shadows and darkness of night. Into the Canaan of perfect delight. Called unto holiness. Church, a bride of the Lamb. Waiting the bridegroom's returning again. Lift up your heads, for the day draweth near, when in his beauty the king shall be, shall appear. Holiness unto the Lord is our watchword and song. Holiness unto the Lord as we're marching along. Sing it, shout it, loud and long. Holiness unto the Lord, now and forever. We're called to be holy people. <coughs> We're called to be holy people. That one verse there, called unto holiness, children of light, walking with Jesus in garments of white. We've got his robes of righteousness on. The old robes of sin and everything else, they've been taken from us and we're clothed in his righteousness. Raiment and solid and tarnished with sin. God's Holy Spirit abiding within. Focus morning. As I ask that question, how are you spiritually? I wonder how many of us are too willing to allow those garments to be tainted with the world. Because we don't really want to be separated from the world. We still want to enjoy the pleasures of the world and the things of the world when we've been called out of it. Out of it. To serve him and to live lives that are worthy of the gospel into which we've been called and saved. The second song we had, the first opening song was the video song. You can have all the world. If you want it, take it. This is what I want. I want Jesus. 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 Jesus only. And nothing else. Going back to the Bible studies, not from Philippians, but I went through one Peter before that. We were also confronted in his first chapter of the need to live lives that were worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he worded it differently, but the message is exactly the same. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. It requires obedience. Be, do not be conformed. Don't be shaped. Don't live in. Don't live with. Don't be involved with the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Folk, if we want to know what is wrong, and I'm not talking here, I'm talking of the church in general today. What is wrong with the church in general today? It hasn't taken hold of this call to holiness. Believers are still wanting to worship God and yet still worship the gods of this world. We've been called out of the world by his grace to live for him 
and to serve him. Those verses from the New Living Translations from 1 Peter. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. And I'm pretty sure that there are many churches where I wouldn't be very warmly welcome to preach or I'm preaching this morning. I know it because I've preached it in places. And they've not wanted it. The call to holiness. And maybe there are some here that might complain, but I hope not about the many times that I preach about the need for holiness in the life of the believer. But I will never stop preaching about holiness and sanctification and separation. I will never stop preaching about it for at least three reasons. And the first is because I need to keep hearing about it. For when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself as well. When I'm seeking God for something for the church, I know that what God gives me is for my heart. It's for my soul. It's for my testimony as well. And I speak it secondly because I know that you need to keep being reminded about these things. We all need to keep being reminded about these things. And the third reason is perhaps the most important reason. Because as you go through the word of God, even in the Old Testament, but in the gospel, in the, in the, in the letters, the epistles, we find it's a subject that continually crops up in the word of God. The call to holiness, the call to separation, and the call to being different to those who are outside in the world. And when the church really takes up this challenge and becomes the church that God is calling it to be, then I believe the believe unbelievers will come in because they will see that we're different. They'll know that we're different and they'll want to be different themselves because they will see the physical evidence, the tangible evidence that Jesus has made a difference in our lives. We don't do what they do. We don't go to the places where they go to to be involved in debauchery and drunkenness and everything else. We come to the house of God to be in fellowship with brothers and sisters, to grow, to mature, to develop, and to be the people that God wants us to be. And so we end this study taking the first point. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I end with a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. So we've been cleansed in the blood, but we need to continually cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So may God help each one of us. And I'm talking, as I've said, to myself as well, so that our manner of life will, without any doubt, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So how are you spiritually? How are you spiritually? Yes, if I asked how you are this morning, you might answer like I did, well, 
and good thank you or something similar. But this second question is far more important. How are you spiritually? If I go to the doctor, he'll ask me how I am and expect me to give an honest answer. Because until I give an honest answer, he won't be able to help me. And when we come to the house of God, we've got to answer honestly. Because it is as we answer this question honestly that God by his spirit will help us. Help us. So that we can adjust our lives. Adjust our lifestyles. Say no to those things that we know are things that perhaps we shouldn't be involved with. And we can give our all to him. Allow him to be Lord of all. May God help each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen.